Lowell Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. All right. Thank you for listening. Uh, here we are once again. This is Keith Lowell Jensen. Um, Keith Lowell Jensen presents the Keith Lowell Jensen Show with Keith Lowell Jensen. And I'll just start off by thanking our uh, new sponsor, Clash Books. Uh, and I'm super excited to have them on board. Clash Books is actually the publisher of In Defense of Ska by Aaron Carnes. You may remember we had Aaron Carnes on the show uh, several episodes back. I think it was their second or third episode. Uh, they have a book out right now called Born to be Public by Greg Mania. And uh, this book, holy shit. I mean, NPR just recommended it and Oprah has recommended it. So uh, Greg is really burning things up. And it's huge, I think, for Clash to have a, a book taken off like that. They're an awesome smaller publisher. Uh, husband and wife run the company. And they're both really great, cool people. So exciting to see that happen for them. And, and we're excited to have them on board as a sponsor. Please go check them out at clashbooks.com. Buy some books. Christmas is coming. Give people the gift of books. And uh, also, while you're at it, I have a book. It's not on Clash, unfortunately, but it's uh, it's on Skyhorse, and it's called Punching Nazis and Other Good Ideas. And I think it's a great Christmas present. So go grab it. Go over to uh, Amazon and watch my special, Not For Rehire, on Amazon Prime. It's still free. There's an unfree version of it, too. It's so weird. I'm hearing from people, and they're like, look, it's not free. And for some reason, it's on there twice. It's on there free, and it's on there not free. So if it looks like it's not free, keep watching. Uh, And hello to our listeners in Sweden, in Great Britain, in Poland, in Ukraine, uh, even more so in India, and in Canada. Canada is the country where we have the most listeners outside of the United States, and that makes sense. Uh, Stay warm up there in Canada. Um, Glad to have you all on board. Joe, uh, my producer, suggested that I learn how to say hello in some different languages. And uh, I I thought that was a fun idea. So uh, this is for everyone in um, Canada and Great Britain. Hello. All right. Um, And speaking of hello, uh, sad news this week. David L. Lander, the actor who played Squiggy of Lenny and Squiggy of Laverne and Shirley. passed away and andrew squigman was a just made me laugh so hard as a kid i absolutely loved lenny and squiggy i loved laverne and shirley i watched it all the time um i you know i was a big fan of happy days spinoffs in general mork and mindy was my other favorite show so um but uh, every time lenny and squiggy came on the screen i just laughed so hard and i'll tell you my, my favorite scene that i can think of is the two of them just chowing down cereal just pouring milk and cereal in bowls and just chowing it down and carmen or one of the other characters says what are you guys doing and they said oh the milk expires at midnight <laughs> so, uh, it's very very funny and speaking of very very funny my guest this week is another comedian always fun to talk to another comedian especially this guy i'll read you his bio and then i'll give you my own bio of him kasim bentley is an american stand-up comedian SF Weekly has described Bentley's uh, humor as the best racial humor you don't feel guilty laughing at and touches on racial stereotypes without being racist, challenges conventions of being politically correct or nice on stage. (laughs) I love they were nice. Yet keeps the audience on his side by turning the insults on himself and keeping them funny. Uh, On May 3rd, 2019, Bentley released his debut album, uh, Lakeview. The album is named after the San Francisco neighborhood he grew up in. Now, here's my bio. I have worked with Kasim several times, and he's always fast on his feet, 
outrageous, always the funniest guy on the bill. My favorite gig I had with Kasim, we were at a gay Hispanic bar booked uh, in San Francisco by our friend Marga Gomez. Everyone before me bombed. And then I went up and I bombed. And I worked hard at not bombing too. Like I watched the people before me failing and I took notes and I put together a strategy and I was going to win that crowd over. And when my strategy was failing, I even changed gears and tried a different strategy. I failed twice. And I walked off stage saying, this is an impossible audience. Screw them. They couldn't be had. There was no winning. And then Kasim went up after me and he killed. He absolutely destroyed and I'm still mad at him for it. Hello, Kasim Bentley. How are you? Yeah. I remember that night. It was, I bet you do. You know, it, you know why? It's not really because you really didn't bomb. It's just that uh, you had them at a certain, you had them at certain points, but I think that when you're starting to not, when you feel like you're starting to bomb and you just either can go two ways, either I'm going to take you all down with me, <laughs> screw all of you. I don't care whatever Mexican trans bar this is and everyone that's coming here. You it was know, a weird place, wasn't it? It was, dude, you know, what's funny is like, I'm from San Francisco. And I understand it from five years old when I saw at the casualty fair guys running around with their penises out and naked people. You know, like you get used to it. But some days you just get in the, some days you go into a, a place, a bar that's gay. You don't know it's gay. And it just, and it, you just got, you gotta, you gotta kind of acclimate very quickly. And that place had not, all these like fine art paintings of just naked men with huge penises is right. sitting there. <laughs> One of the paintings was giant. It was like the size of a wall in my house. And it was just hanging like above the salsa bar. It was so great. It was it was just like that kind of painting you'd see like Gordon Gecko or somebody would own. You know what I mean? Just like one of these. <laughs> it's just like, I bought this in Rome. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, and, do you know what this means? It's it, like, it was just, <laughs> just wild. Because Marga, you know, it's like, the thing that, that, that room, I did it like three times. I think one time I did fair. The rest of I done to I killed, but I knew like, but it, there was something about that room, man, that it just felt wrong. That whole <laughs> club, like I'm glad when you know I hate because I hate when gentrification when all these like yuppies will come in and all these like tech guys or whoever or just these, you know these uh, uh, these outsiders come in and they just kind of take away the culture. And I hate it, but sometimes. <laughs> Some people take something that I hate, and I'm just like, fine, take it. I didn't want it anyway. This this place was because on that street, no comedy should be on 16th and Valencia. Like, there's a place like like for someone that's not as familiar with San Francisco. Tell us about 16th and Valencia. For anyone that's going to visit San Francisco, there's a there's a portion of San Francisco called the Mission District, which Uh used to be thriving culture, right? But it used to be scary. But now it's kind of like how like people talk about Giuliani. Like, you know, took 42nd Street in New York and just kind of cleaned it up. There's something about... Disney like, Yeah, but there's some... But 16th and Mission and 16th and Valencia, there's, there's just certain businesses that have remained intact and have not been affected by gentrification just because they, you, they need it to be there. They need it to be there gets to have, I guess, this gets to represent, you know, actually represent the culture. So there, once you hit 16th and Valencia, you hit around that corner, 
like you get the corner store, you get the hot dogs, some the lady that likes some of those illegal hot dogs. Like <laughs> illegal like hot dogs. Sem- like it's semi-illegal. It's like wheat pasting. It's like you don't know if it's legal or not. He's like wheat paste hot dogs. You don't know what's going on, right? And then you hit Skylark. With Skylark is weird because it's like you don't Skylark, like they let okay, they have a numerous club nights and events there, but they all kind of like bleed into each other. Like you'll go there on a Thursday and they have like a burlesque show. And you know, burlesque is nothing but a titty bar for nonprofit people. You know what I mean? It's just like <laughs> It's like so many pretentious NPR guys. Just looking at his just two tassels, just running around. He's watching these like these annoying women running around. You know, I mean, with part-time job because nobody does burlesque full-time. You know what I mean? So then, and then, then Skylark turns into like a thug night right afterwards. So, so that's kind of like what it is. And then you, then the place to, then there was, there's an Indian pizza place. Makes no sense at all. No. And you know, at the same time though, there's a Punjabi burrito place uh, around the corner from the Throckmorton in Mill Valley. That makes no sense, but I love it. I go there every time. It's delicious. Wait, I, I remember me and my ex-girlfriend, we parked. No, it wasn't me. No, 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 no. Shoot. No, it was me and Jacob. Me and Jacob Syrah. We parked. And I guess I know what you're talking about. I looked at their place and I was like, wait a minute. And I thought maybe we'd have a chance to eat there, but I, it, it's good. Is it good? I, I, I like it. I mean, it, it, it kind of makes sense. Pizza, Indian spice. It, it, I've, I've, I know there's two it places. Working. in the city. What is it? I can see it working. I made pizza on non before. It was good. Because it, oh. it was all I had. So I pulled it out, made a pizza. I was like, oh, that's tasty. Oh, that does kind of make sense. See, Kasim, you used to hate it until you ate it. Uh, well, I, okay, the, the Indian pizza was, I didn't, you know, you know what I, because like on that street, like food on, when you get to 16th Valencia, food, like, okay, once you get to 16th Mission, that strip, Food really doesn't matter. Really, what matters is drugs. <laughs> uh, hopping into your Uber very quick, uh, like fighting, uh, fighting your partner, uh, buying these. Uh, I mean, if you want food, you're really. It's not a sit down. It's not where you take the family. Same thing. The mission is not where you take the family. Like that Mexican restaurant, everyone stands in these Russian bread lines to get these dumb burritos. Like oh, I, it's the place right across the street from, uh, oh man, it was Spanganga, and then it became the Dark Room. Are you, oh, you're talking like uh, uh, Cancun, El Can, uh, Cancun Taqueria. That's it. Yeah, that place is great. Now, see, I like. I don't know what it is. I, I like that place, but I like it for weirder reasons. Like I, uh, like I, <laughs> I don't know why, but I hate hard tortilla chips. But for some reason, theirs, uh, I, 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 I like the food. But when every time I go there, it's, if I don't, within the first five minutes, I'm not sitting my fat butt down on those stolen park benches. <laughs> <laughs> I know, dude. Don't wait and tell me. I think what they do late at night, because you know there is park furniture theft in the city. 
Right, of course. So I'm trying to I'm I'm tracing it back. I'm following the money, like they say on the wire. Follow the money. I think <laughs> what they do. I think these Mexican dudes. I think when they make their talk, because I've been noticing it. They all buy. They all have the same kind of seating. It's all park benches. <laughs> I think you they go out late at night. Yeah, dude. I think they go out like four in the morning, and there's no one around, and he just take a bunch of wrenches. And he get them big old flatbeds, and he gets drive off, or they got a homie that works for a department of public works, and they just like, hey man, go get, go, hey, hey fucker, go get the, go get the, get the benches. Oh my goodness, <laughs> we can't open if you don't get the benches. <laughs> I am, I am so glad that this episode started with a little tour of San Francisco because that's. This goes for Sacramento right. too. This probably goes for this goes for any taqueria. Just look at the benches. <laughs> this is universal taqueria furnishing. Dude, if I was the mayor of this city, I mean, well, I mean, if I was mayor of San Francisco, I would so many things I would change. But yo, there's gotta be a bench oh tax. A bench tax. Because you know, as mayor, you try to give all your people jobs, unnecessary jobs. So I would give my like, all the people I kind of know, like yo. I got you're a special group of dudes. We're gonna give you this van. We're gonna get this truck. You gotta go to these tuckerias. <laughs> you gotta collect these benches. Round them up. And it's like, hey man, hey fucker, hey fucker. <laughs> you, I, I bought that homes. I bought that bench homes. <laughs> oh man, listen. I know I'm not allowed to do that accent, but I'm allowed to laugh at you doing it, right? Is that right? You know what you can do? You can actually. Do it and say that casino. I'm, I'm giving you. <laughs> you're such a bleeding heart. You're such a cuck. You know, he gets in there. He's like, I, can't, I don't know if I can do it. Like, no, dude. I'm giving. I'm telling you. For all the listeners in Netherlands and Alaska and wherever, <laughs> wherever they people eat spotted meat and all, I'm telling Keith he can do the accent because I, I tell the story again. Like, I'll even write in say, Hey, Keith, love the show. Could you tell that story? <laughs> <laughs> Make sure to say fucker. A, uh, you have to do a full impression. Don't half-ass <laughs> it. You know what I mean? It's, it's just like, and then you can start, and every, <laughs> I'm just, just going to do a bunch of racist stories you can tell on every episode. All right. Listen, we, we'll have plenty of time to get to the racism. I want to start with San Francisco. Right, I tried to segue, but you wouldn't let me. <laughs> Oh, man. You're such a nice you guy, want, man. If you want to steer Kasim, uh, you really got to grab the wheel and steer oh, dude, I'm sorry. I'm full. Of, I had a, I had three sips of cold brew. I'll be, I'll be up <laughs> till Thursday. Oh, that stuff is crazy. Yeah. I, dude, I have I'm so old. I have felt I, like my, an overdosed before where I'm sitting dude, there. Dude, like, I didn't I know this. That much. I didn't know this because my coworker, he had a heart attack last year, two years ago. His doctor is like, look, I need you to stay away from drugs, which he didn't do. And I need you to stay away from smoking, which I think he smokes weed or something like that. But he said, you need to stay away from espresso and especially cold brew. Oh, my God. I'd rather die than stay away from espresso. I could do without my cold brew. But if you take my coffee away, forget it. Yeah, right. People who love, people tell me, drink your mate. And I and I like tea. And I'm like, dude, if you don't get out of my face right now, I will burn your house down with your children in it. You know what I'm saying? I don't care. I need my cold brew. And now I'm starting to become a guy that just drinks straight black coffee. 
Right. Dude. I like a little that's, honey in it. A little bit of honey. Oh, no, no, no. I drink it straight black like a cop or a racist. You know what All I mean? Right. Like, or a racist cop. Or a racist cop. I mean, <laughs> you know, I guess that, that's redemption. how much they hate black people. They, get stuck, get, they, can't, they have to think about black people all the time. So they have to drink get straight black coffee. No cream. No cream. <laughs> I, I want to look at my enemy. <laughs> so where, where are you where are you talking to us from right now you're in la right no no i'm in san francisco oh you are you're back in san francisco yeah wait until covid's over and i'm gonna hop i might go to new york dude i okay. went there oh, wow. i went there a few weeks ago less than a month well about three weeks ago, three weeks yeah, ago. i saw, I saw a video of you in new york a lady told you to put your damn mask back on dude that was so fun because i want to either i'm gonna do this I'm just going to either move to New York if I don't get this writing job is, is what it is and just get a nonprofit job and just probably cause like I, I hadn't been to New York for a long time and I, either I want to visit New York at least a bunch of times before the world opens back up because it was so empty. Yeah, it, that would be it, weird. it frightened me to think about like, okay, the busiest city in the world and after the vaccines, after people, I don't even want to get into a vaccine. I can get into vaccine talk, but it's just like, I just was like, I was in Manhattan. I felt, I felt like a fat black Mary Tyler Moore just spinning <laughs> around. It's like, wee. And I was like, oh my God, if this was like full capacity, I probably would be, I, even without COVID, I'd be like, oh man, this, either I'm going to feel so excited or I'm going to feel like I'm going to die. <laughs> Maybe a little of each, yeah. New York's a great place. Go gentrify it. Go gentrify New York for us, dude. It's already gentrified. Brooklyn. I went oh, to I, I went to New York. I went to New York to do these interviews and interview for something else. And and this woman who didn't even want to see me when I got out there. What the fuck, right? <laughs> she was I, like, I've had that. That's so funny. I've had that exact thing happen. Dude, I I don't care what you know. And it's just you know what it is, New York. They make it, you know, like they make it seem so romantic to find somebody in New York. It's not, dude. It's a great place if you want to sit there and and be a hermit and be alone. That's. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do love it, but you know what? You're right. Like many of my absolute favorite memories in New York are taking a walk by myself, sitting and mm-hmm. and watching the old man play bocce. You know, uh, yeah, it's. It is. It's a good place to go. Walking around yourself. New York is like having 18 tabs open on the internet. You know what I mean? It's just <laughs> nice. <laughs> it's like there's just so much stuff to see, man. Like you get so distracted, dude. It's like it's like when you watch a Law and Order marathon, right? And like at hour four, you're like, "Well, I guess I'm staying inside, man. This is <laughs> freaking Christ. I just wasted the whole day. I guess this is it now." Um, um, so you you grew up in Lakeview. Yeah, I grew up in Lakeview. Tell us about Lakeview. What, uh, Lakeview. what kind of neighborhood was Lakeview when you were growing up there? Lakeview was very interesting because when I became really conscious of uh, the aesthetics and I guess the, and the inhabitants of my neighborhood, I noticed that it was uh, I was very fortunate because uh, my parents went from a young, struggling couple to a upper working class black couple. It's it's a black neighborhood and it's split. It has very, you have every social, socioeconomic, uh, you have all the, you have all, you have all the, you have all the, you have every level 
of a social of of a ugh. you have you have from poor to rich in in uh you know I'm trying to be smart and was like just be simple uh, <laughs> and now you know it's funny as I'm getting older I'm just like I'm starting to uh, stammer a lot more I think I'm realizing that it's just I like I need I like decided I just need to talk straight to people there's no there's no waxing poetic no more it's just talk yep. straight. Sometimes so the, the words more, just aren't there. You expect that word to be there, and it isn't there. Dude, yeah, everyone can't be Mark Maron. You know what I mean? Right. <laughs> like, like, or Moshe Kasher. You just can't be a master of words. You know what I mean? So, so I grew up, and where I grew up was, it was mostly working class people, but we had projects, but they were like super small. It was like, it was like one, it was like half a blog long. It was embarrassing. Couldn't even okay. make a rap video. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> and then as you went up the hill, you just got you got people who were you know everybody lived in a house like you. It was very few apartment buildings and like you. So what happened was we lived in the middle, like right at the top of the hill. So that's where you had all the, you know, like the really you know people with the larger houses. So we had a, a decent size house. But when we went down the hill, that's when you start getting like rich black people, like Cran Apple, black people who drank Cran Apple. You know what I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like like there was always ocean spray. You know what I mean. Like, is it? So, like, like, and that's the ocean because uh, Lakeview is in a the name, the real neighborhood, the, the name of the neighborhood is called OMI, Ocean Merced Ingleside. But okay. Lakeview is because we're next to Lake Merced, right? So, on my side, it would just call it Lakeview because we're closer to San Francisco State, which is close to Lake Merced. So, um, so growing up there, I guess no. I guess would I was just around like working class black people, black people, but I also felt like there was a lot of retired uh, black people in my neighborhood and and just married black people. You know what I'm saying? So it was very uh, it was very interesting because what I kind of saw was until I was able to venture out, I was very incredibly fortunate to seeing black people uh, with some you know family or semblance of a family or you know, or just older black couples, you know what I mean? So I didn't think that was the whole world, but, or the world, you know, but I was, I, I knew that, that, um, I knew that that was, I knew that what a, what a structure was, you know? So right. then my grandparents lived like two blocks away from me, you know what I'm saying? And then that's, now the interesting thing about that was that my grandparents were from Texas, they're from Orange, Texas, and my dad is from Brooklyn, New York. So you put all that together, it gets equals people who don't like each other. You know what I'm saying? So right. like, because my dad moved and my mom, uh, my mom uh, from, you know, from California, from the Bay Area, from San Francisco, they, my dad moved in at 18 to the Bay Area and he just totally changed. He was like this guy who used to wear like, I guess he was like student body president. Not guess he was like a student body president. He wanted to be in the CIA. You know oh, what wow. I mean? But he's too, but he's too fat, too fat, too black to be in the CIA. Like, but <laughs> it was, it was, it was really because he was playing football and he was in the BSU. He was really, he had a lot going on, right? But yeah. I think when he came to college, wanting to be in the CIA, but because uh, he was an international studies or business major. But he was black studies minor, yeah. So then he gets he, you know his, you know his, you know his ideology changes. You know, what I mean, this is the late '60s. You know, so, right. so 
How does a black man in the late 60s want to be in the CIA? I mean, that's a story right there. You know, I'm going to get that from my mom because my dad died like 10 years ago. And I've always wondered, like, he kind of told me, but he just was like, I I could see what it was. Because when I was in high school, I went to this black prep school in high school. And I remember the, (laughs) the principal, this old black chick, she... She brought she brought the military because I mean thank God she did because some of these motherfuckers was gonna make it to college. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So she brought these two brothers in and it was like it was very interesting because like like they were just these two no it actually wasn't no it wasn't two brothers one was one dude we thought was black because he had he was white with a tan but he looked <laughs> kind of Creole but he was a white dude and it was a brother with brother who had just like that uh, he had that. He had like a pointed mustache. And uh, so he came in and then they were like pumping up, like, join the army. You can see the world. You could own a house. You can go to college later if you don't get. Uh, and I I would raise my hand and be like, look, let me get this straight. So you tell us all this, but you get killed, right? And it's right. like, and then I was reading about stuff. So I was like, yeah, but okay. All right. So I don't pay taxes, but my parents, I'm, I'm, I'm the only woke person in my fucking school so i'm basically i'm just sitting there afro you know what i mean look like i look oh, like Edie, yeah i look like edia means son you know what i mean i'm just sitting there what right what are you getting from them uh, and, oh and from people the were kids? like people were like what get him to him see so it's like oh, nice. i was like yeah so you have to sit there and so you're gonna sit there and tell us a bunch of disenfranchised you that were many of us are college bound that you're gonna tell us that because this whole spiel that, you know, we all look like poor ghetto youth that we want to sit there and say our option is to uh, just to, like like to be in the army, which I from what I understand, our government funds terrorism and, you know, <laughs> you know, and political warfare. And just so you, got, you got on a list. Yeah, I was, I was good. I was, I was drinking coffee at high school. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> I was I was ready. And the dude, I remember the white dude, he was going to start to be like, oh, well, I could. And the black guy, like, he put his hand on his on his back. Like, hey, man, just let that fat dude talk, man. You know what I'm saying? He's like, <laughs> just let him talk. Because I was speaking that real truth, man. I was sitting there like, I don't get this. And you and Ms. Martin, Ms. Martin was my principal, was like, you would allow these men to come in here and talk to us. Aren't the whole goal, I mean, looking at options. Now, many of us, none of us will do this. It's a waste of your time. I mean, I was like, Dude, I would get sent home not for fighting, but for like either talk, speaking my mind or joking around. I didn't get sent home a lot, but I remember that day they sent me home like, you need to think about what you're trying to sit there and do. And who do you think you are? I say, I, it's offensive. It's a completely offensive what you're trying to do here. You know what I'm saying? And it was like, I remember my dad was just like real proud of me. He was like, yeah, you talk that talk. <laughs> oh, nice. Know. Okay, good. So, well, so I the guy that at one time to be uh, in the CIA had had come around to appreciate his son standing up to some military recruiters. Well, I think my dad wanted to get in the CIA because he wanted to make changes, you know what okay. I mean? Because he didn't want to sit there and say, like, you know, um, you know, like, whatever, you know, I, w- I would believe his point was to change the system, you have to become a part of the system, you know what right. I mean? So, and then I think once my dad got educated, once he took to taking black studies classes, I think he really started seeing, like, you know, how detrimental it would be. Like, also impossible, because 
I met my dad's friends. I know some of them be like, man, you're too fat to be in the CIA. Come on, man. <laughs> Come on. Because my dad came to, he came to the Bay Area to play football. He was, he was like, like college baller. Yeah, he came. He he got drafted. So he got drafted by uh, Laney College. So then he got he got drafted and he played. And then um, he was then he I remember he broke some dudes. Like the reason why he got drafted is he was one of those, he was almost like a specialist. He had so much rage in him. <laughs> you know, he had one of them coaches like get in there, Bentley, and just you know don't we'll don't we'll take care of the we'll, just get hit someone. <laughs> yeah, we'll take care of the rest. We'll do the paperwork later. And he would just be like, <laughs> if, my, if my dad was dumb, Sandra Bullock would be at that football game. <laughs> and just like cheering him on. But my dad, he wanted to be or like a Rhodes Scholar. Okay. So he went he went to play football, but he I don't think he had his heart in it. And he also, he busted his knee really bad. So uh, he got out of football, and for some reason, okay, so he lost his academic, he lost his football scholarship, but he had an academic scholarship that covered him for most of it, and he just yeah, like he just did, he got it deep into black studies, and I think he took all his football rage and became like, like I wouldn't say a, I wouldn't say a rabble rouser, but I think what he did was trying to you know, have, have these white professors, I understand like karmic retribution, you know what I mean? Cause he would, he would like create these plans where like, like he would, they would steal the, the, uh, the masters, the, uh, the, the, not the masters, the master books or like the test. And right. they would give them all to the black students. Yeah. And then for some reason you would, <laughs> I remember the school would be perplexed because like just for some of these classes, they never fought. They never could pin it on my dad or people. But it's like any 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 class that had like more than fifty percent black people there. Everyone everyone's making like A's, B's, like maybe one or two C's, <laughs> but throwing them off. You know what I mean? Because you know you can, you don't want no standard. You don't want nothing like standard deliver where everyone's just like we gotta retest them. You know what I mean? Like, right, it's like right. so. But I just think Someone I'm gonna go my to dad one for the team and get a C, just so they don't look suspicious. Yeah, they'd make sure like a light skinned guy got a C, you know? Just <laughs> like, yeah, come on, Pierre. That's like a light skinned black guy name. Come on, Pierre. You gotta get that C, man. Man, no, my parents gonna kill me. <laughs> like, uh, you gotta do it for the revolution, brother. You know what I'm saying? So what? but growing up in Lakeview, it was interesting because you I would meet I I was always I think what it was was that um I was I would notice that um, that it was you know what it was it was because we were I think because we were near the water like with the lake and it was kind of a more of a I, I don't say a fluent neighborhood but it was just I think in terms of the layout of like it was such a better looking neighborhood that I I, I didn't feel like I had such a hard horrible childhood because right. I could go down the hill and see these amazing houses owned by black and white people. But the black people, it was a huge treat because it'd always be like a black guy with a story like, I was the first black man, you know, who worked at IBM. And it's always like, oh, okay, that's great. And he had this house and he's got this wife and he's got this, especially at Christmas time, that always like, you see these houses. and So when we would go to other neighborhoods or we go to Oakland, I got to see all this 
like East Oakland where I see all these dilapidated houses, cats running around, you know, and just shit. I'm like, God damn, like, ooh, come on, can we go back home? <laughs> right. <laughs> but I mean, not to say there wasn't shitty housing in our neighborhood, but it just, it just, the layout looked better. It just, it just looked better. So I just grew up, I think, I think I just grew up like, under, I think what a what a what a what an understanding like a very appreciative of you know I think of I don't know of architecture of you know I think of uh, you know uh, I think uh, I think because I saw people who were had you know maybe a fluent lifestyle guess you know people would, I wouldn't say they were uh, it was not say an opulent lifestyle but I would just say that people who who were able to display their their hard work a lot more. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like whether it be renovating their house, the type of clothes. And then later on in life, my mom became an AKA, which is an Alpha Kappa Alpha. And that's like, that's when you started seeing the black bourgeois. Cause my mom started, I, I don't know how she got it. She pledged later in life, which is easier than doing in college. So she just started know that seeing was the thing. Yeah, I, I didn't know that either. I thought you had to be fucking like being so, freshman year getting hazed and shit. Right. So did your mom still have to, to get hazed though? You come home from school one day and your mom's <laughs> being paddled in the living room. Yeah, it's a 43 year old black woman. She's got paddle marks <laughs> on her ass. You know what I mean? Just, which is San Francisco would not be, that's just like, that can, yeah, be, that's, that can mean a lot of things. That's Thursday, you know? yeah. She could be going to Bondage or Go Go on Wednesdays in San Francisco. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Sidebar that I used to go to that night. And yo, I tell you, man, there's some things like black people know that they really are not going to touch bondage, like BDSM. Like that is definitely if white people wanted to lay claim to that. Black people, if we had to vote on it, we'd be like, yeah, y'all can keep that. That's fine. <laughs> because I went one night and I walked in with this homeboy of mine, and he was into that shit, right? And I was just going there to see whatever. I was bored. There was this black woman strapped up, like. In chains, in chains. First of all, she was darker than me. She's darker than three in the morning, right. right? And she was like, and she was getting whipped and paddled. And I was like, uh... I was like "Yeah, and, that's uncomfortable on so many levels." But you know what? I realized before I got mad, I was like, you know what? It's her fucking choice. You know what I mean? Because some people get freaks. You know what I'm saying? But right. back to my mom. My mom pledged. And that was interesting because there were AKAs in a neighborhood that lived on the Ocean Avenue side. So the further you went up an ocean, you're getting you're getting out of Lakeview and you're getting into the Richmond district, I think. And yeah, and that's when you started seeing like Fresh Prince of Bel Air, Fresh Prince of Bel Air type. <laughs> this is where beyond Cran Apple, we're talking like, I don't know what's above Cran Apple. But we're talking like artisanal cranberry cocktail, you know what I mean? We're talking, <laughs> we're talking like they, when they, they have their own cranberry up, bog in the backyard where they're growing the stuff fresh. Yo, this woman had, I man, I swear to God, I was at this woman, this woman's house. I forget her name right now. She came out and her cat when he came to cat crown around the corner. I swear to God, that was the fancy feast cat. It was. <laughs> Because it was such a luxurious, I had never so, seen. Because you know, when you grow up in the hood, you can see cats. I don't know how right. to explain it more. Status symbol cat. Yeah, now I now I mean the fur. She had she had a necklace that was like like brass, and it was it had a, 
and its name and it, it, the initials that the had like a it had a um it had like a microchip thing on it where you could find it. You can't, dude, you would not find that. If there's a microchip in your cat, it's because that cat's a part of an experiment so your family could get some money or something. It's not not the same thing, dude. Dude, on that side, I I saw what I saw was interesting about growing up on that side was uh was what I saw on that side was that I didn't feel there was an overwhelming pressure to succeed, but I felt like I was really enthusiastic about trying to see about like how money works and how can right. I get to this level. That was, I think I never told my mom that I probably told her this weekend. That was so important because what my mom never made a ton of money until she worked for the city as a social worker. She's worked for nonprofits. So my friends, my mom's friends, I think all appreciated my mom because she gave all of herself to this career but my dad made, she made like some years $125,000 as a bus driver. Nice. But my parents, my mom never really liked that about my dad. My dad went to school for, uh, he went to school for Black Studies, International Relations. But then he wanted to work with kids, so he was going to get his master's. Well, he was until he joined Muni. He was getting his master's. And child development, because he wanted to be a teacher, blah, 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 all that shit, right? But he had he had a kid on the way, so he got to get a jobby job. He got to get a real job. Right. He was working at group homes and shit, getting the shit beat out of him by, you know, frustrated 15-year-olds. Right. So then I think what was interesting about that was because what I noticed was that it how living on that, being seeing my mom become immersed in that world, I think. I think it changed because my parents were already getting a divorce. Like my parents stayed together in the same house while having being separated for years. They was I call oh, really? it black divorce. Yeah. I call it black divorce. Black divorce is when two black people from the civil rights era or, or prior to civil rights era make enough money to afford a pretty good house, but do you know they want to get divorced, but then it's like None of them have ever lived in a house on their own, except maybe the house they grew up in. So you don't want to like go into this apartment. Such my dad, but dad grew up in a projects. Right. So he's not, in, neither of them want to give up this nice house. Yeah, it's like it's not going. Yeah, it's like it's not going to be like what Don Draper got divorced. He lives, you know, he he uh he you know he uh he uh he moves from a house to a pretty cool apartment for a single guy. Right. I mean, it'll get you laid, you know. <laughs> Turn on the hi-fi. You so know. how old are you when this is happening? Shit, my parents, I think really my dad moved downstairs when I was like a kid. Okay. So I was like, I was like maybe think seven, maybe uh, seven, maybe, I don't know. I, so I is, that like, mom when he, is that less stressful than normal divorce? Because you're like, you're not having to go between separate homes. Your dad's still around. You're, no, I'm really... Yo, that was so great. Now it was stressful because my parents never talked. My parent, my my parents would argue like once or twice a year or something. Because okay. my dad totally dropped out. Like, and what I think what happened was, I don't know really. I'm like, me and my mom try to piece together. My mom has her own thoughts about what my dad. She might have thought my dad was like asexual or he just was not into my mom. So he just was like, then she's thinking my dad was gay. But and I was like, my dad, dad wasn't gay, 
he gets what then to you know sometimes you know sometimes a woman doesn't want to know that she could be part of the problem. My mom, (laughs) my mom had never. I mean, not to put her business out there, but like they're in college. They had met in college, and up until that point, my dad. I mean, God rest his God rest his soul. He didn't have a lot of dating. He was not a battling guy. He just didn't. He was doing a lot more fucking than dating. You know what I mean? It's like he was. You know, he was like he was sticking and moving, right? And you know about this? How? Sit down, son. I gotta talk to you. (laughs) No, you know what? I think it was like my dad had this friend. She was like KC. His name is KC. And he's one of these dudes where I don't know what happened to black people with gap teeth. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what. It was like the 80s and the 70s. It produced so many black people with a gap in a tooth. And KC, <laughs> he, I think his parents were from the Caribbean, which I find like that happens a lot more. He had this like Lauren Hutton. And Andre Talley, like, gap. It, is too, it was wild. It was like, it, it was like the kind of gap when you see, like, in a nice neighborhood when all the houses have space in between each other. You right. know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> There's, like, a hose on the side of the house. There's, like, grass. Yo. His he teeth was had good property. Look- yeah, yeah. He had, he, had, he, had, he had a property value in his mouth. He, he had... <laughs> It was a wild gap, but he was a good-looking dude, but he was one of them shifty-ass dudes, right? So my, uh, my, what was I saying? Because KC. He told you dad was a player. No, my dad was was not a player. He was just talking about that time, that era in time where it was like, you can't. I think when they saw each other again, I think KC had moved back to Lakeview. And I think he was like, I think he was like getting on heroin, but you couldn't really tell because he was always awake. You know what I mean? So like. He's like, I, and I remember he asked my dad for like 10 bucks. My dad was like, what? And that's, and my dad, that's when he knew, was like, oh, he on the air Because he was like, <laughs> at the barbershop and he was just like, hey, uh, hey, Ron, man. Uh, hey, man, I didn't forget my wallet. He lived upstairs. It's like, bro, just go upstairs. Right, right. He's like, oh, man, I got to He's like, nah, I don't got it like that. I got to pay for my hands. Uh, that's all I cash. I got. All right, all right, all right. Gave a long black eye handshake. All right, I'll catch you later. And he, he just walked off in like a real George Jefferson kind of way. But he was like, all right. So I remember he told what I got from that. My dad was, my dad didn't, I don't think my dad didn't, I think my, oh, here's what, my dad was on the football team. So the football team would do as a way of, I don't know, male bonding. They would go. Have sex with each other. Right. I've heard about this. I mean, how are you gonna? I mean, yeah. I mean, how are you gonna know the plays? <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, you have those you know. dance, they're all piling on top of each other. So, you know, you gotta practice that dog pile. How to get out of it? You know, you right. gotta, I'm, I'm not you know judging. I, mean? I just I never got picked for the team. <laughs> that would be so funny because if you really think about it, that the idea of like when they give you those facts and figures of like how many people are gay, men are gay, and it's like like one in every sixteen. So if you, let's say you go with that running idea. So I guess imagine like in in collegiate and professional sports. Like just imagine like I would I would think that if the, let's say you're playing football, that's a, like just to play sports and you're gay. And let's say, just like you can hide it, and let's say you're okay with hiding it, dude. That's gotta be amazing. Go in that locker room, all them dicks singing around. <laughs> Dudes all wrestling around and shit. You're wearing a cup so nobody can feel that you're hard. 
<laughs> so you you have found the silver lining to uh, oh. being closeted. <laughs> oh, dude. I mean, I remember one time this boy named Jermaine, he was in our neighborhood. Uh, he was, I mean, you know, in the 80s, you didn't know who was gay and who just didn't have a daddy. You know what I mean? It's like... <laughs> <laughs> Oh shit. <laughs> that was real. That was real. There was a couple of dudes in the neighborhood where they was just raised by like this whole like <laughs> this whole like Hannah and her sisters kind of shit. And this is like these generations of women. So the boy would just kind of mimic the moms, but you didn't know he was really gay. This boy named Jermaine, I remember he he was so gay. I remember the double dutch rope broke and he made one off nice. instinct. Talented. Dude, this dude was born to be. This dude, there's no, there's no reason a vagina should ever touch a genitals. He didn't, he didn't need that. This shit is fucking women crush you every day. So I remember he played football with us, and <laughs> I just remember, I just remember, I get so excited when this little boy took their shirts off. Because one time I was at I was at a buffet and I just saw this fat Filipino boy and he'd never been to a buffet and it was in Daly City on John Daly and he just got so excited he started doing his little grubby fingers like (laughs) (laughs) Jermaine when when the boys the opposing team took their shirts off because he was just like and I remember he was Oh my goodness. So uh tell tell me this before you move too far into this this football stories from your youth. Uh, were, your parents, were your parents funny? What? <laughs> oh shit. I were your folks were your folks funny? I was playing and he said that boy gay. <laughs> He gets looked into that boy. That boy is gay. (laughs) (laughs) Just so matter of fact, just two words, Doug gay. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I love that he would just go there knowing that like if there's anyone I can say that see so not gay would be the poster child, would be the (laughs) I mean like I mean, would just I would be would be the spokesman for like he was, didn't Doug wasn't Doug on the Man Show? Yeah, Doug's Doug's an open mind. I could I could see Doug giving it a try. You know, just find out if he likes it. He's a he's a he's an adventurer in this life, Doug. You know what? That's real too because like it's like that. Um, oh man, I mean. Th- yeah, you know what? That's true because I've run across guys who are, they've told me their sexual history or their desires. And I remember I was in a writer's room and this one guy had just started talking about like what he was into. And he just started talking and he was like, yeah, I could go for her. I mean, sometimes, dude, I just want to, man, like, 
I've never slept with a man, but it's like, I think before I die, like, I think yeah, I can definitely see it happening. And everyone was just like, cause he's just a, he's just such a, you know, sex hound, you know, like he was just sitting there like, Oh, huh. Okay. You know what I mean? <laughs> so let's see with Doug Stanhope. I, I guess, yeah, I can see. I mean, I see a lot of these like, like ballsy white guy comics. They won't go, I will be, you know, into a woman, I mean, into a man, but like trans, they, a lot of them will be like, you know, eh, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. I guess I can see that, you know, what, yeah. you know it's just so interesting, but, but to see the, Darius Monday, I wish it would be so funny if he would have said that to Doug Stanhope's face. Oh, I'm sure he would. And I'm sure Doug would not mind one bit. <laughs> Darius is so wild. I remember one time he was, he was just talking. I forget what they were talking about. We were at uh, the dark room. And this lady comic is out of nowhere gets slaps the fuck out of him. Oh, Jesus. Yeah, uh, it was uh I can tell the story because she's not even com- it was I think it was what? Melanie O'Brien. This lady this comedy, Melanie O'Brien. I love you to see if you can tell it and then you give her full name. That's great. Oh please, no, because she's so proud of it. She she would everyone turn around because it was like I don't know, you know sometimes when you like watch those like I used to watch those slapping competition videos. And uh, right. <laughs> you know, it's just that just that portion of the internet where you're like, okay, this is definitely the this is like, you know, mental McDonald's, you know what I mean, <laughs> watching right now. And I it was such a hard slap. It it just it just and then when you saw who it is, like a girl who was taller or as tall as him, slap him with just the 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 might of a of a hundred Karen's. You know what I mean? <laughs> It was just like, can I speak to your manager? I mean, just knowing that I know, I don't know what he said, but I just know Darius. I just know it was going to be something that just wasn't, you know, it was just so non-PC. He was, Basically, he was like, it, there was no, there was no title. There was no, there was no, there was no thing like the edge, edge Lord didn't I think, exist back then, but <laughs> I just think he was just like, he's just a tiny edge lord. You know what I mean? That's what I love about him. Uh, I was trying to ask you before, your, your folks, are they funny? You, yeah. Is this sense of generational? Dad, yeah, my dad was really, uh, like a lot of people in my family are really funny. It's really interesting. I think about it now because my dad was really fun. He was a really, he's a good storyteller. He was really good. But I noticed that like his stories were very funny that were based around a lot of his childhood or stuff. He, Cause he was a bus driver stuff. He gets on the bus and people, and he wouldn't do his thing. He would never do impressions. He just would be very descriptive, but okay. he, he would build up a story. I remember people, when I used to see my dad, he would kind of hold court a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, not really, but people would come to man, tell hey, Ron, hey, Ron, hey, Ron, man, yo, tell this dude that, that story. Right. And then it would crowd around my dad, and then he would have people busting up. Like, and I remember being young, laughing, and being no reason understanding like why this part of it. But he just knew his he just knew his like his voice was the instrument. So, but then I noticed that my dad loved comedy because we would go. He had like a couple cars, not a lot. He had like two, three, maybe like three, four cars. I was, and he I remember he had this like Dodge. Like this, I don't know. Like it was the kind of. This is a really wild reference, but he had a kind of car. This is a very wild reference that nobody's gonna get. 
there's this, there's this gang star video called Mass Appeal. And the okay. car they drove in is the kind of car my dad drove, but it was like light colored, right? So my dad would play like Eddie Murphy's like first album on cassette, and like it, dude. That's sh- you know sidebar. You know how lucky Eddie Murphy was to put that album out then. If you try to put that out now, he's how still. Would look- he would, he would, you know, I hate when comics say, oh, you know, I don't really appreciate Raw. Shut up. Right. So my dad would play that. I, I, watched, I watched Raw recently with my wife. And <laughs> that's it, like, that's it's, like, yeah, it, it's, you know, in the context of these times, it definitely it hasn't aged well in some ways. It's hilarious. It is absolutely hilarious. And there are times when you're laughing and you're like, don't even want to be. It's, it's fantastic. There's a reason why he's, one of the most successful of all time. It's so good. You don't want him to come back. It's right. just like, it's just, it's just, it just, I just can't see it make it. I don't. So my dad would play all these other, then sometimes he would play black comedians I'd never heard of. And I still there's a few that I don't, I don't forget their names, but then my mom, even though they're divorced or blown through black divorce, she would play like some of the similar stuff. But, or maybe she would play the Richard Pryor or something. Or there was a radio station too, KPOO. They would play black comedy clips in a mix of like, you know, jazz and other music and all that stuff. It was like, it was, I don't know why. It, was, it would, would almost take the place of commercials sometimes. Like, it would just okay. be like, hey, here's the classic one from Richard Pryor. And he's like, hey, you there to see a nigga come down the street. And he was like, I'm like eight years old. And that's dying. I remember one time my dad... He was outside talking to somebody, and my dad could talk. Could like he could talk, right? And no. they were talking about something. <laughs> no, but you know what? It's crazy. Now you know what's so funny? Like my dad could talk, but like these people would request him. That's it great. Was, my dad, because he's really smart, he was a good storyteller. But he always he read like a two books a month. He read the paper. He just was a really like me, it's just like I can talk, but like I'm not like I'm not saying I'm not smart, but I know how much I'm faking it some of the time. <laughs> so, <laughs> like you know, like I I present well, you know what I'm saying? I'm like you know, so it's like it's like uh, I'm like I'm like I'm faking it like when like at bar like 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 real shishi bars when you buy a table and then they just dump cheaper champagne into like the expensive bottle and you're like oh yeah man i'm getting you know and you're like you don't even know uh so i remember he would leave me in the car i remember i was listening to eddie murphy's album i think we i think i i think we almost got, i got through the whole thing and i just remember that being like this maybe part of the seed thing like how funny it would be to just sit there and just make people laugh and what seemed to be I could tell that first Eddie Murphy album, he was he was a small place and I didn't try to be Eddie Murphy I just always knew that was really cool what he did right you know what I'm saying because I didn't really want you know because I didn't have those dreams of like being like a lawyer or I wanted to be this or that maybe a child psychiatrist or something like that but I always wanted to do something before it's like I used to want to be a wrestler oh wow <laughs> Oh yeah, dude! Like Olympic really- wrestler or like WWE wrestler? Oh, dude, a, a real wrestler. WWF, not that other stupid shit. <laughs> <laughs> not that, not no that Fox Roman catcher. for you. Yeah, this ain't Fox catcher. 
<laughs> I love when people be like, yo, I grew up, I wanted to be in a circle in my draws. Well, I mean, you're, I mean, you're in your draws and wrestling, but I mean, I, I, you know, I always wonder what happens to those guys. Like, yep, I came in silver in the 88 Olympics, you know, and then you're like, oh, that's great. Can you wrap up my battery? <laughs> I mean, right, right. So like, nah, man, but my dad, yeah, he was always a funny dude. He told really funny stories. My mom was funny, but she was more like, I don't know. She always had a funny personality, smart, quick-witted, you know what I mean? Just, just more bubbly. You know, my sister's not funny at all. She's just a nice person. Ugh. You know, she's one of those people that's so nice, you think she's stupid. He's like, hey. I'm like, oh, man, this girl doesn't even know the death that's around us. <laughs> but my grandpa was funny, but he was he was more like, he just, you know what it was? My grandpa was a very cultured, dirty old man. Oh, nice. I, I love those. Yeah. He just knew he was, he knew what he was. He knew, he knew how, he knew that, you know, how horrible irony was and how it played in his life. Like he was, this, he was a pretty good looking guy, but he lost his hair at 17. <laughs> See what I mean? Okay. Right, right. You go into prom, you got a fuck, you got a receding hairline. It's like it's just like horrible <laughs> shit. Oh, well, I'm glad. But, I'm glad you didn't in, uh, inherit that from him. Oh, dude, you know what's funny? I'm I got to order that uh, hymns and keeps that shit. Dude, I'm trying to keep this shit, dude, because I don't want to be. I look. I try. I look. I one time on Photoshop, I, I see you want to see what I look like, ball headed. Fuck right. that, dude. No, no, not a good look for you, huh? It's like if you took a Cadbury egg and you dropped it on the barbershop floor. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> that's, what, that's what I would look like, dude. I was like, it's like a horrible. I mean, it's not really horrible. You know, it's just like, I know it if I don't get on these keeps drugs. Like, I because I did a commercial with Max Girlfriend, like, last, this year? No, last, no, this year. Did a commercial. And... It, like, I got some money from it. You know what I'm saying? But I wanted free product, man. <laughs> I want, they could have paid me in a case of dick pills and, <laughs> and hair restoration, or hair restore, whatever, hair, what is it? Restoration, not restoration. Uh, reservation? Uh, I don't know. Reservation? Yeah, reservation. Uh, restoration. Hair, hair, well, guess, guess hair, hair products. And hair products. I would have taken that instead of the fucking money they paid us because, dude, I'm seeing guys that get on those drugs that, a snaffodil and all a finasteride dude i'm seeing dudes they were losing it in their crown and i don't see them for a while back i'm talking back i think we just got a new sponsor for the podcast dude you know what's funny there's that in within podcasting i'm learning more and more to talk to people about like i used to think like okay when people had sponsors that your network gave you the sponsors Dude, there's all types of agents and services that go out and get you this money, you know? And I used right. to think like, oh, yeah, like HeadGum or whatever, whatever, Forever Dog, whatever they had got you. Dude, that's what I'm saying. Like, there's no excuse for a lot of us not to be winning out here. You know? You Even mean? with you, you got all this clean comedy money <laughs> just floating through. <laughs> I, I know those sound exchange checks. You come in, I bet you like, you know, mm. Mr. Burns, like, yes. It's so nice. No, man, uh, I put dude. out I put out six albums before I did a clean one. And then 800 Pound Gorilla was like, 
hey, man, you can do whatever you want, but clean will make you some money if, if you want, if you want. You know, they were really cool about it. And I was like, oh, shot. you know, I could try that. I have some clean materials piled up over the years. Holy shit. Uh, man, that, I wish somebody would have told me that sooner. Because it's not like I can't still go out and do the dirty stuff, too. Yeah. <laughs> it's, like, it's like people who shit on dry bar comedy. It's like, dude, I remember they said John Heffron. Somebody, I don't know if it's true, but it was said to me that off that one special, just just off the months that it was out, he had clocked it like $85,000. Just just off it being out for a while. So wow. if that's true, now, now it could be a goddamn like because comics love sitting there, you know, especially when you're hanging at the improv at the bar, the improv. Love like, each other. Yeah, but I was like, I didn't know the numbers on dry bar comedy and – they're like, yeah, that whole market of clean comedy, it's like gospel. People don't really know, next to country music, gospel artists make up a nice chunk of people who buy actual records still. They will or, go platinum, and you'll have never heard of them. Yeah. I mean, but they have their own demographic. They will buy whatever comes out that's gospel. It's gospel, they're going to buy it. It's really true. It's very true, man. I just... And I didn't know that until I talked to a girl who used to date a, gospel, a drummer for a gospel group. And she's like, this guy is so rich. Like, not rich. He's doing so well because he, you know, I guess that he himself had another group or something. And I guess he just went back to being like a session musician and on the road. Right. And he's like, "That's that whole run, the shows, the merch, I mean... I just didn't really know how much, you know, people love the Lord that goddamn much. <laughs> I did. A, I was on a TV show called How the States Got Their Shapes. Okay. And, and they brought me out specifically as an atheist. And they brought me into the Bible Belt. They, they brought me to Nashville, Tennessee to do a, like a, a test quiz show against a Christian comedian. Okay. And yeah i had never heard of her before i don't even remember her name now uh she's like some weird trumper so i didn't bother (laughs) but she gold records platinum records she's got these crazy numbers you know there's videos of her performing Mm -hmm. in front of thousands and thousands of people it's its own insular little world that's why people wonder they're like where are all these trump voters you know before they started parading up and down the freeway (laughs) with their flags uh, they're at home listening to Christian comedy albums. That's what they are. Yeah. If you can do a clean album, you don't have to be Christian, but if you do a clean album, you sneak a little bit of their money. They don't like that we're getting it, but we sneak a little bit of it. That's wild, dude. This is the thing about like, I was, uh, I used to do this web show on Twitch. It's got James Moore and we were, uh, oh no, no. So on my, no, excuse me. On my podcast, we, no, we did it. We, we featured one of it video but then later on in my podcast i looked at uh uh artists like recording artists that are maga and uh, dude these guys man they're making so much money like like maga hip-hop artists wow it, dude if you ever want to get into a nice hole just put maga oh. in rock maga country maga oh. nortenio maga hip-hop maga reggae it's no! like no. dude it's fucking crazy but it's like i'm so i i really wish i kind of wish trump was elected to see just to get some more of this music out you know what I'm saying? Right, right. So, 
Just the imagine funniest. how excited they'd be. Just enough, he would have won. Right, right. Uh, the the funniest thing I saw going down the uh, white supremacist uh, rabbit hole on Twitter was a guy, and as far as I could tell, he was sincere. I mean, I looked at a bunch of his tweets just trying to figure out, like, I, he's sincere, isn't he? This guy did a top 10 list of, like, the things that it's the hardest to to not be able to enjoy because you're a racist, because you're a white supremacist. Okay. And number one on his list was good hip-hop. He was like, man, it sucks. It sucks that I can't listen to good hip-hop. Because <laughs> I'm a <laughs> And I just, the thought of him, like, making himself miserable and being sad that he can't listen to music that he clearly loves. Like he acknowledged that it was good hip hop, you know, and he had good taste. <laughs> I was just like, Oh, that poor dude. Yeah. Cause racist music after a while, it can get really boring. I remember there was those two twin girls, those sisters. I they were that, oh, their name, their name. It was like a long name. It was like Prussian blue, I believe. Yeah. Prussian blue. Yeah. Now, no, excuse me. Their song names were long. Prussian oh, okay. blue. And I was, I, I mean, I, first of all, I love that the whole story after the aftermath, you know, I mean, like we were pressured and I'm like, all right, right. come on. You guys are smiling way too much in that video. But, really? You don't believe it? I mean, they were like little kids. Yeah. But some of those videos, <laughs> those live shows, they were, they knew what they were saying. When they, <laughs> they knew. When they would say white lights and knights and upholding the flag, right. yeah, they knew they knew what's going on. It wasn't ring around the rosy for these two. They knew what the fuck they were saying. You know what I mean, like, I don't know. Be, I'm pretty like, quick to forgive someone whose parents put them in that. You know, yeah, but it's like you know what? It's like look, there's a couple parents that I usually shit on. Okay, parents that dress up their kids like ways like they dress them up in a way that the, the they're representatives of their values. You know what I mean? Like I live like like if I see hood parents and they give their kids like a chain and a bomber jacket and like joy, you know, like look, all right, this kid has no idea what he's wearing. That's one thing. But then when I see like people uh, feeding their kids minds with just you know these uh, horrible you know ideas that are so divisive and destructive, like the Prussian blue parents. I mean, what the fuck? There has to be a point where they're like, wow, we're really, this is not, I, ho- I hope this works because it's not like, you know, like, what do they think was going to happen? These Prussian blue kids were going to go on to win Grammys, you know, <laughs> right, like right. Disney contract, you know well, what I mean? They're on tour. You, you go for a very specific demographic who doesn't care about the quality. I mean, they'll buy anything that you put in front of them that fits their brand. In this case, white racism. I found the, the funniest quote from the Southern Poverty Law Center online. It says, as 20-year-olds, the girls struggling with health problems say they're more into marijuana and tolerance. <laughs> 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 and their names are Lynx and Lamb. Oh, that's great. Lynx and Lamb. You Lynx know, I have a really – I really have a, I have a lot of disdain for parents that name their kids like these really angelic names because – you know, it's just the fact, you know that you, you're running the risk of raising an asshole. <laughs> but that's the risk you always take. Yeah, because like my cousins, I got a cousin, her name's Princess. The bitch was a booster in the 90s. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, I mean, baby sis, I mean, that's her nickname. But she was, she was doing all this. Dude, I would never, if I have kids, 
if the woman tells me we want to name her Angel and we want to, I was like, look, you know what you could do? You could do with that. You could have, you could have somebody else raise this kid. I'm not fucking doing that. No angel, no princess. Yeah, no angels, no charities. Yeah, but no. Prince's parents named him Prince, and look how that worked out. And I was thrilled the day that I realized that that was actually his name that he grew up with. He also Sometimes died. it works out, man. Look, for every, you know, 99 princesses who are, like, stealing stuff from Baby Gap, there's one <laughs> Prince who's going to be dropping to the greatest albums of our time. It's you worth, know what? I hate, to, I hate to say it. I hate to be so controversial, man, but... Not the biggest Prince fan. All right. So let's wrap this up. <laughs> oh, dude. Look, look, you know, look, man. There's a lot of black people. I should start a Facebook group because there's enough black people I know that agree with me. <laughs> Prince is fine. Prince is fine. But let's keep it super real. Let's, okay. Like, when, okay. Prince, first album, second album, fine. There, there's a point where people drop off. New Power right. Generation, the whole slave thing when he went indie. Nobody remembers those songs. Dude, you're talking Nobody. about his you're talking about his like tenth, eleventh, twelfth album at that point. You're way, Dude. way down the discography. What Sign of the Time was Sign was Sign of the Times one of his albums? Yeah, Sign of the Times is great. I don't I don't remember what was what was the that's major still, song? Like, that's still pretty late. What was the major song on Sign of the Time? Was there was there a song that like? Oh yeah, I don't, I don't, I can't play song to L. Oh, so you're the real fan, huh? You don't remember the song? Yeah. You, remember? you totally outed me, dude. Uh, you want? Yeah, guys, you see, controversially, <laughs> you have to edit this out. I'm glad I will too, Joe. I'm glad I'm taking Mark you. There. We're, gonna, we're gonna cut this part out where Kasim <laughs> shows up my Prince fandom. <laughs> I'm gonna do a. You know what? I'm gonna do a special episode where I review my experience on your podcast. <laughs> You know what? I should start doing that. I did one for Cometown. I think every time I'm a guest, ooh, that's actually, Straight you know what? Cometown to the Keith Ol Jensen show. I like that. Dude, it's all Good. it's all the same. What white guys on podcasts? <laughs> you know, we need me. something to do. They're not letting us on stage. All you hey, need uh, is a beard. Hey, let me uh, let me. I I want to ask you one more thing. I keep going okay. back to the folks subject. I was I was yeah. curious. Did your father get to see you do stand-up? No. That was very interesting. I was always very... I think I was very nervous. Even when he knew that I was... I don't know what year I was in, but I know he knew that I was... I think I think he knew. But he said to me, and I don't know if it was before I did stand-up, he said the one regret he always had is that he always wanted to try to do stand-up. And I don't... I think I was either in stand-up already or thinking about it. And I really... I don't know. It was such an interesting moment because it made me, first of all, it made me understand like one of it, it, it made me think about how horrible it is to get older and to get locked into your own fear or, or in, and understanding that like, it's not about older. I think it's when you, I just saw my dad as an older person who was trapped in his own like, fear or inability to try adventure because i mean it's like what do you do like you know you're a 50 something year old guy da, 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 you're going to a failing marriage you live downstairs in a room it's like let me hit those mics right, <laughs> right. Like, you know but my dad i don't think he ever because we would have a good time talking but i was more like my mom than my dad you know i mean but that doesn't mean i'm not but me and my dad did share a lot but i love my dad but he was also a 
like a, I think kind of like a he was you know it was just sad a little because you know I think that he was just trying to like make money, you know, save a bunch, you know, just prepare for his next phase of his life. So you're not trying to think about hey, let me see what that punchline showcase is like. You know what I mean? Like not like that. Also, it's like when you have two kids and they're getting older and you're trying to you know, you know, you're just trying to work your sixty hours a week. Yeah, but if I said that momentum before I had a kid, I think that mm-hmm. would have been the end of my stand-up. Oh, really? Yeah, I mean, I already had momentum, so I kept going. But if I was still having to go hit the open mic nights four or five times a week after my kid was born, I can't I can't mm-hmm. imagine doing that grind and not getting paid for it, which, you know, I, I did for years. Yeah. Um, but but the thing about it is, it's funny because like it's great is when you're older and stand-up and you start out older and you have or you have a wealth of experience, whether it be just from traveling, or, you know, being a father. You have a life to comment on, you know, because, I mean, that can happen with being younger, too. That's why when I talk to younger comics, I say, you know, you have an advantage because people want to hear, you know, the experiences you're having as a youth because it really helps them understand about more about themselves and helps, you know, uh, kind of, it helps them you know, understand what choices they made, the right and wrong choices. But we're also cheerleading for you because, you know, is that we want you to end up better than we were are, you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, it's really interesting. So, but with you, yeah, but with you, it's like, it's like Al Madrigal. When the minute he started, you know, when he met his, uh, the woman who would become his wife and, you know, they want kids and a family, it really got him on a path, you know, to uh, a path toward, uh, it put him on the right path to setting up a, a, a success plan. And I think really gave him perspective too, because I mean, that's the great thing. Cause I mean, I'm not saying that you talk about, you know, it's like some people talk about family and all that stuff a lot, but I think with you, you have, you have like, you don't, but it, I think it helps you once you have certain, you can, you have certain, um, you have certain goals you've reached and, and you feel satisfied. So now you can focus on the other, you know, the other goals are the top or not topic, but the other goals you have, you need to achieve that. And that's very hard because sometimes I see guys in comedy that you can tell when you're talking to them that it's not going to work out because they haven't really worked and processed everything else out yet. Right. And that's very hard sometimes because you don't want to tell them, Hey, I think you should like go back to school or you should like go to you know, maybe wreck the, you know, uh, you know, figure this whole thing about your relationship out or, you know, or, or, you know, you know, maybe you need to, you know, try to do whatever, get a better job so you could get more money. It's like people just put all their money down like comedy and right. you're like, all right, well, you'd either need to, some people just need to go completely bare bones. It's like when I used to talk to Jasper Red, Jasper lived on the, he lived in the bottom level of a house in a room, which was a small room. All he would do is eat one meal a day, one or two meals a day, and he had a computer in his room, and I think it was a bathroom in his room, I think. Um, but he just lived, but all he would do, he worked super part-time, so all he would need to do is just write comedy. And, yeah, and I always wonder, and someone like Jasper, I mean, he's fantastic, but I feel like sometimes guys like him are an exception where – more often well, when you also wrote comedy their for whole life is just comedy so what can they write about well i think with him it was the fact that i think that you know 
it, not to say this is exactly. I don't have to say that. Not to really to say there's an accurate description of him, but I one thing I will say is that like he could he drew from a lot from being a fish out of water and somebody who was really from Tennessee, but who was really I think had a very unique perspective. You know what I mean? And I'm saying meaning that you know I, I I see when people get to a larger metropolitan city, especially on a whole other coast, and he's he's country. He's a country guy, but he had sound logic. He was very smart. But it was, but it was lensed or it was shot through this Tennessee cannon, you know. So I think he understood his character, and also I think it was understanding that I don't know if he'd want to admit this, but I think he also came from that Mitch Hedberg school. Okay. But he was black, so you know the thing that got him to success was also the thing that he stopped doing and denied, which you know, like Cannibal Burson, I'll take it. <laughs> and I, and I guess, <laughs> I'll run with that and give me all your money, Hollywood. And you know what's funny too? I think Jasper quit comedy. Really? Yeah, I'd heard from a woman that knows him that he moved back to Tennessee. And I just think that it seemed like maybe the anxiety or the all the stress of all this stuff got to him. And it was like I would hang out with him in LA and see him. And he just wasn't the same dude. I don't know if what happened, but yeah, he just was like. I don't know what he's doing, but like I just know that like it got to him. And I remember him in San Francisco. It seemed like there was a certain time that changed because I remember when he started, I would never know him for having like a a girlfriend. I know he would like, you know, maybe get chicks, but I remember he had this one girlfriend. I remember that that breakup. I really feel like it changed him. That's why I always tell comics like, like really, I, I said there's no rules, and please don't have to listen to me because I'm not the representative of a, a success. I mean. Yeah, but I just know what I know. I think I know what I I think I know what I know. It's like it takes so much supreme concentration to make a winning in a bankable act. You know, you you I mean you could do your ten thousand hours at Malcolm Gladwell shit, or you can just be, you know, just you know, really just like just really you know, going with your in your intuition and saying like yeah, I think these jokes really work. You know, but I think that a certain while you don't you can't really Give of your you can't really give yourself to a whole relationship until you have certain things locked down. Like if you become like an opener or a feature at a club, okay, boom, you know that says right there. And then you rent the standard, and then you also can start traveling with that act. You know what I mean? So now you can find another way. You can start really scrambling out here, making more connections within your scene. You know, and, da, da, da. and also, like, if you live in the West Coast, you can start going to L.A. If you live on the East Coast, you can start going to New York. I mean, you can really start getting out there. And I think that just, like, in terms of, like, how long I've been doing comedy and what I've seen how comedy has positively affected my relationships. Because, you know, you know how it is. You know how it is. Comedy, like, you see it. Keith, it's like when you're getting off stage or at shows, whether you bomb or you, you go, you, you're funnier than those people in the goddamn crowd. You're a leader. Right. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? You're a goal for some people and it's attractive what you do. So it can, it can, you can draw in people and opportunities, but I think until you really start seeing yourself becoming self-sufficient from comedy, it's, I think it's best if you really try to like limit the, like that's a not have relationships, but I think you have to know that like until you gain one that's, person's going to be with you for the long haul many relationships you're going to have are going to be short-lived yeah that, that's what's so backwards i mean you know i hang out with 
mostly comics. And, and I've seen most of my friends go through so many relationships and, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm 27 years deep. (laughs) That's one, but I was pretty far into the relationship before I tried stand up. So that again, Mm -hmm. it's like in the same way that, uh, if I didn't have momentum in my standup when I had a kid, I might not have kept going. I also had momentum in my relationship when I started standup. And so it survived. <laughs> but wait, aren't you like in an open marriage? No, sir. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. I'm just joking. For you, for you, we'd make an exception. <laughs> yo, know, yo, you know what's so funny? Real well, shit. Yeah, one said to me, you know, you, you only live once and you might as well try everything and uh, have an adventure. Didn't we just talk about this? Wait, the the adventure part? Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm coming on to you, Kasim. Trying to make oh, something happen dude, here. I'm sorry about that. I'm, I was trying to think about this one time. <laughs> I was, there, was a, there was okay. I was doing a show with Jacob Sarah because we we had this two man team. <laughs> that sounds so. That sounds so sexual. Especially like, context. Yeah. If you want to bring Jacob too, I, I mean, I'll talk to my wife. We'll see. Dude, I would. Is your wait, 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 wait? You and your wife been in the other twenty? How many years now? Twenty-seven years. Twenty-seven. You know what, man? The cool thing about you, man, this is a good compliment. Is that you're aging pretty well. Oh, thanks, buddy. And you're and you don't look like shit. And you <laughs> and and you know what means you're a good looking guy. You could either shave or not shave, still a good-looking guy. Dude, there's so many comics out here. I'm so appreciative when they grow a beard and like, hey, bro, keep that going. Don't rob, don't rob Delaney this shit. You're not, you don't have the face for this, all right? Just keep that hair going, please. You have one of the all-time great beards. You, you have oh, one yeah, dude. I swear to God. I, don't even, I, thought, I thought this because I was thinking about this manager I have working on it, and I'm thinking like he's more film than comedy. I was like, dude, I know he's probably going to send me out for something that they're going to be like, oh, well, we need you to. Well, I'm not doing it. Tell Denzel that uh, <laughs> you have to find another fat black guy, man. Because <laughs> I'm fucking, I'm, I know what I'm keeping. Because I, I don't even know what I would even look like at this point. It's been so many years, dude. Right. I would. I, I I would it would have to be a it would have to be a great role. I'm not doing I'm not cutting my beard for no Craigslist movie. No no <laughs> no uh, no kids from the art academy are gonna be like, hey, can you uh I mean you know? Did you see? I think it was called Love. There was some show that had Kyle Kinane without his beard, and it was weird, right? I remember it was it in the first was episode. Very weird. Yeah, it, it took me a minute no to chin. recognize him, and then I was like, oh shit, and it. God, it, it's weird how much it, it just didn't seem to fit his personality. I was just like, that's not, that doesn't look like the Kyle Kinane that we know. Yeah, he looked more druggy, you know what I mean, without the beard. I mean, he didn't look like, I can see that character with the beard. I just don't, it's, it's very, I don't know. I mean, it's like even, it's like, it's really interesting. It's like even like Zach Galifianakis, like, I remember I used to see him on the Zach Galifianakis show, and I don't think he had a beard. I don't think he did. And it was, he always... He's one of those guys where when he doesn't have a beard, he looks like a rapist. <laughs> and I mean, not, not like one of those friendly law and order rapists. You know I mean, like real, like 10 o'clock news. You know what I mean? Like, we don't leave your drink around this guy. No, no prime yeah. time rapist. He, no. He's, yeah, no, he's six o'clock news. That's when it real it gets real. <laughs> like, he, he uh, does in the daytime. Let me, uh, I, uh, 
I do have to start wrapping up. And before I do, I, there's something very important that I need to say. Okay. Uh, which is that Starfish and Coffee is on Sign of the Times. You Got the Look is on Sign of the Times. I Can Never Take the Place of Your Man is on Sign of the Times. Sign of the Times, Princess Ninth album is a powerhouse, awesome album. You know what I'm going to do? Starfish I'm and gonna... Coffee alone. My God. Dude, I'm, you know what I'm going to do? Because uh, really, and I mean this, I'm so, going to listen to this album um, this week. And if it's any good, if it's if it's good, I will tell you it's good. If it's not, I'm going to block you from all social media. <laughs> this might be the last time talking. And it all I'm going to get you canceled. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna Photoshop you in some precarious situation. You know what? There is no, there are no better hands I could be in than than those of Prince. I'm good with it. I don't. Uh, I just don't I take this challenge. I, you know, I've told that to women, and they, and I think it's led to them not. I mean, there's many things. I mean, but I just think it's had an effect on like some women. Like, how could you not? That's like. It's okay. getting you not laid. You got to get over this. You got to learn to appreciate Prince. Dude, I swear to God, dude. Look, start with album one and just start working your way through the discography. Don't worry. Don't let that way later stuff gum you up, man. You, you're letting it get in your way. I I just don't. You know what it is? Those first two albums, I get, I get it. It's all good. I don't even. I, I just don't remember people losing their shit. At, at like when Prince, as we got into the '90s with Prince, and the and, and even into the end, I don't really. I just I hate to say it, man, but I sometimes need to be led by the masses. I don't believe the masses, especially black people, young black people. I don't remember anyone in my age group being like, "Hey, blood, hey, blood." But if you, but hey, if blood, you just, turn up that Prince, blood. <laughs> no, it was no way just listen to his work from the '80s. If you just blew off everything he did after 1990 completely, you still have a huge body of work that's fantastic. Dude, I'm saying the first two albums. After that, everything else is Muzak to me. Oh my God. So Yeah, what? I'm out here. Controversial stuff out here coming out of the mind. Including Purple Rain? Purple Rain was in the 80s. That was the first two albums, right? No, it wasn't. Oh, see, you need, to, you need to go back to school, my friend. Whoa, whoa, wait, but hey, hey, wait, wait. I know white sarcasm. Come on, man. It's like, I don't want you to get you canceled. I want you to put you on black Twitter, all right? Uh, <laughs> wait, Purple Rain was on the... Wait, 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 wait. What album was Purple Rain on? The third or fourth? Let me see real quick. Come on, bro. I think you know, you're lying. I would, I would know this stuff right off. See, now, now you're just making stuff up no, just to be like, right. No, no, I'm There's telling no you. It was, it's the third. It's the third album. So, uh... Wait, you mean the movie Purple Rain? And the album. Okay, so the third fourth okay. did the uh, love sexy uh, man. I got to pull up full discography just by see. But the problem is studio albums. He did thirty nine of them. Holy shit! Oh man, I can't get them. Like, that's a lot of Spotify. Thirty nine. I just know. I just know he had some. I just know there's a lot of clunkers in that thirty nine, dude. Why is this such a pain in the ass? Uh, Joe, normally we don't edit the podcast, but we definitely should cut some of this. 1978, no, he keep released... it, dude. I'm talking to you, dude. Keep it no, no, raw, listen. man. So so 1978, he released For You. 
1979, Prince. 1980, Dirty Mind. 1981, Controversy. These are all bangers. 1982, 1999. Uh, 1984, Purple Rain. 1985, Around the World in a Day. 1986, Parade. 1987, Now We're at Sign of the Times. 1988, Love Sexy. Now we get the Batman. I'm only talking when, like, I was, okay, here's the reason why. Uh, I'm only talking purple. I'm only talking purple rain and maybe the one before it because when I was born in '77, and then I saw a bootleg of Purple Rain playing on my grandpa's VCR. The thing was bigger than a goddamn. But that's still six album. albums. You're still okay, talking about okay. that's more okay. albums than most people make. Wait, man, you need okay. Keith, you need to take some Ridlin right now, bro. You, you're going really, really hard, bro. No, man, I'm having you're some cold brew. Bro. You need to calm down, bro. You, you need to take a you get you had some cold brew. I have something's going on, man. What's going on? I I mean, okay, like I don't mean all those early albums. I mean when I came into contact with Prince, those are two albums that I care about. Purple Rain is the album I know, of, and the album I think after that. Before that, dude, there was not because you know it wasn't even Stop. Prince. So good. I came into my grandpa's room and he was watching Purple Rain and Apollonia was jumping into the pool and her breasts were flopping. And <laughs> my grandpa said, look, wait, wait, here it go. And I remember, and, and I said, I got to know what this is, what this music is. And that's when I got into the album Purple Rain. But everyone was playing Purple Rain. Oh, After that, I was done. I was done. After that, mm. I have to be honest with myself. I was done. No, no. There was there's another some- movie where there was naked women running around, it was a great album attached to it. I listen to Prince every album. I think I, I think I have a plan for our next comedy albums. I think <laughs> I know what to do to crack. Listen, man, uh, tell us, tell us the, the new album is Lakeview. Uh, where's the yeah. best place for people to go get it? People are doing their Christmas right. shopping right now. You, it's, uh, it's re- okay. So as recently as it's been put on vinyl, uh, the yeah, fans you put it on vinyl. It. that's really exciting. So go to Blonde Medicine, the label it's on, B-L-B-L-O-N-D-E-M-E-D-I-C-I-N-E. I don't spell that much. Uh, <laughs> .com. <laughs> BlondeMedicine.com. Get the album. Also, you can get on, it's, you can stream it on all streaming sites. Boom. Do that. And we're also on Bandcamp. You can also buy it on Bandcamp. Hook your boy up. And then, have, have it then my podcast, White Slavery. Uh, new episodes out tomorrow, every Wednesday, right? And then there'll be a new web show I got, um, discussing white women. I don't know the name yet, but it's like, I think it's called, I think it's going to be called the ultimate guide to white women or something. It's like, I think that'll be the name because it's going to be like a bracket. It's going to be like a bracket system. So I got, I got a lot of stuff going on. And also I have a comedy magazine. I'm coming out in spring 2021 called pageant. Dude, I got a lot of stuff going on, dude. I got, I, I'm running, I'm doing this like I got a kid coming. Right. It's something we don't know. Nah, I'd, I'm shooting blanks, dog. Good for you. I know, right? <laughs> Thanks for <laughs> all those years of all those years of laptops on my, <laughs> on my <laughs> all those, all those, well, all those. Uh, I rarely laugh this hard uh, during the podcast. Thank you so much. This has been a blast chatting with you. Uh, it's been good talking to you, bro. Guest again has been Kasim Bentley. What are your socials? At all social medias, Kasim Bentley. Also, Thanks. if you want to send me any praise or racist comments, 
You can hit me on my Google Voice on the White Slavery Line, which is 415-949-0128. Once again, 415-41-FEVER, 949-0128. I'll play the recordings on the podcast. I might even call you. Excellent. Looking forward to hearing that. Uh, I have been your host, Keith Lowell Jensen. My producer is Joe Honor. The art for the podcast was also done by Joe Honor. Our editor and audio engineer is Jack Matrenga. Joe and Jack are with Hyperpixel. Hyperpixel is a production company with a focus on digital marketing and e-commerce, offering daily management of your website, social media accounts, and digital marketing campaigns. Our theme music was uh, by the great... uh, why isn't it on here? DJ, <laughs> DJ Real. Sorry, my credits are missing that I normally read. You guys thought I had that stuff memorized. Thanks to our sponsor uh, over at Clash Books. Go check them out and uh, watch for my next book, What I Was Arrested For, coming out on Clash Books in 2021. Uh, again, thank you so much, Kasim, And we will see all the rest of you next week. Cool. Cool. <laughs>